you watch the people in your organization and ever wonder why some of them are so engaged in their work and why others seem to just go through the motions? Or maybe you've experienced a just going through the motions season yourself. Part of the reason why is because you've lost some of your essential self and the opposite of your essence is ego. Don't worry though, you're still in there. You've been trained for years to act, talk, walk, and be a certain way, especially at work. The Enneagram Typology tool can help you and your teams rediscover who they were before crappy workplace culture got a hold of them. If you want to change your culture through your people, this podcast is for you. We'll dive in deep on the Enneagram and we'll get way past just talking about numbers. Leaders will tell their stories of how the Enneagram has transformed them both professionally and personally. You may have some level of self-awareness now, but let's turn it into self-wisdom and let's improve our ability to relate to people that move through the world in a different way than we do. If you know your core number or you are still exploring, this podcast is for you. Together, we can change our organizations and our world one person at a time. My guest today is Erica Poli. She is a registered nurse, a nutritionist, an exercise physiologist, and a wellness enthusiast. She has a passion for helping people become the best versions of themselves and cultivating community. And this shows up in her day-to-day work as a nurse leader. One of her absolute favorite ways to develop her team is, um, and herself is through the Enneagram. She currently lives in the Chicago area with her husband, Jared, and dog, Bailey. And you can follow her blog at anchordrop.org and also... Um, follow her on Instagram and LinkedIn, and those uh, are in the show notes. Hi, Erica. Thank you for joining me from South Carolina. Tell our listeners where you were at and the view you're looking at right now. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So I am on an island, a small island that's like two and a half miles by five miles across from Hilton Head, um, where my family owns houses, a couple of my family members. So I'm getting to see um, my family for the first time in a year and a half, and I'm looking at a golf course and the ocean. So it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I can hear just a few little birds in the background. It kind of sounds like if you've ever listened to Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, where she's out in her gardens, it sounds a bit <laughs> yes. like that. So we'll keep that beautiful music in the background. I love it. So, <laughs> yes. so, uh, Erica and I actually worked together at one point, not, not really closely, but we were on lots of calls together. And I remember always just feeling like, Oh, I really like her. And I was kind of working at a system level, um, in the healthcare system. And she was uh, more on the operation side of things. And so we worked together some, but not all the time we were on the same team, Uh, but both of us are nurses by background. And so we kind of connected that way. And then we found out that we both have a love for the Enneagram and we reconnected um, just a few months ago and kind of had a little jam on the gram session. And I loved hearing what Erica had to say about um, how she used the Enneagram um, with um, even bedside nurses. And so I will um, just turn it over to you, Erica, and kind of tell me how you got started with the Enneagram. Also tell the listeners which type you most identify with. I think that will help um, people start to kind of get a sense of who you are. And then um, tell tell me how you kind of, you individually got started with it, but then how did you integrate it into your professional world? Yeah. So it's been, oh gosh, like seven years now that I walked into church and into a young adult community. Um, and I was new to this church and my new friend was like, oh, you have to meet my friend, Aaron, who loves the Enneagram. And I was like, what's that? And I was like, how do you even spell that? And I, and she's like, it's fascinating. And I was like, I'm not so sure about this. 
And Aaron started to like talk to me about it. And I was like, okay, this sounds interesting as um, uh, I'm a two, I identify as a two. So the helper um, and just such a big part of who I am is understanding people. And I started to learn how much you could understand people better um, through this. And then also how I could grow myself to be healthier through this. Just I, and, and I was reading, I was like, oh my gosh, that's totally me. Um, about the Enneagram too. And I'm pretty, I'm a pretty obvious too. I'm pretty easy to peg. Um, even though we're not supposed to type, people are like, oh yeah, I totally see it. Um, so she just continued to introduce it to me. Um, it was pretty big in the young adult circle that I was in, which was really fun um, because I got to see firsthand how it was as I was developing these new relationships. You know, I got to learn, oh, that makes sense. Um, and we would talk about that. Um, so fast forward into about, gosh, was it three or four years ago that we were starting to open the New East? Um, it's been a while. So I became an inpatient manager of a of the 10-bed unit um, at Community East. And I was told in the hiring process that I was going to need to grow up from 10 beds to 18 beds. So it's almost essentially doubling the staff, which is a lot of staff to hire in in a short amount of time, if you think about it, because these, you know, as nurses and techs, um, and then what we call CSAs, unit-based secretaries, um, they have to work so closely together and they're working to save people's lives. Um, and I was just like, how can I help these people to better understand each other um, on a fast pace? Because in the span of a year, I hired something between like 27 and 29 people. Um, not only was I hiring them, we were training them and then they were all having to get to know each other. And that's just a lot of people. That's a lot of new relationships. Um, and so getting to know each other, I was like, let's try the Enneagram. Um, so I was just like, I think that would just be a fantastic thing. And I spoke to my director at the time and he's like, go for it, try it. Um, and it ended up being such an instrumental part of growing this team. Um, because as they got to know the Enneagram and they each started to identify their numbers, um, you know, it was, oh, so that's why this person does this or this person does that. Um, and it's actually interesting to reflect back now because one of my, uh, nurses was going through a really tough time. And at that point she identified with a nine. And then as she got healthier, she was like, actually I'm a seven. Um, and as she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much more sense for the core of who you are, but you were just going through so much at that time. Um, so it's, it's been interesting even to follow them through the years. Um, and even to this day, I see my staff, um, from that unit posting and being like, the one will be like, oh my gosh, this totally pegs me. One of the ones, um, and they just, I continually see, see things pop up on Instagram or Facebook of where they're still using it as a tool. And we had a board on the unit, on our new unit. Um, they loved Winnie the Pooh. And there's one, one thing out there that says, here are the Winnie the Pooh characters. So they created like this hundred acres um, bulletin board. And then on each of the balloons, there were nine balloons. They wrote people's type and even our pharmacists for the unit, um, some of our oncologists, just different people started to jump into it, our dietitians, And it was really fun because um, they got to, to know people too. And you know, one, one of our pharmacists was like, he's like, I'm a four, I'm the most dramatic type. That's the worst type. And I was like, you know, the... Pretty much everybody, when they read their type for the first time, is like, oh my gosh, am I? Is this really me? This is, but this is awful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I always tell people, <laughs> if you don't feel like you got punched in the gut just a little bit, you're probably not on your right type. So. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah. it was, I, yeah, it was such a growing fun experience. And they were just such a great group. And through that, they got to learn and know each other. And then through the onboarding process, as I got to know them, if they they had identified their type, I was then better able to understand like, hey, they're going towards the lower end of healthy. What do I need to talk with them about? Like, what what do I need to dig down and see what's going on? Like, is it something here at work that I need to help you with? Or is it just something personal? Or is it just all the change? Like so many new nurses, being a new grad nurse is one of the most stressful experiences I've ever been through in my life. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And I told them, I was like, I would... My first six months off orientation, I would be driving to work and I would want to puke because I was like, oh my gosh, people's lives are in my hands. What if I don't handle this right? What if I don't do something right? Uh, um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was it was good. I, and I did have experienced nurses too, but some of them were coming from like outpatient rehab or different areas too. And inpatient such such a different world. Um, home health, hospice, just different things. And so... Um, that really helped me, you know, with my one-on-ones with my staff or in their 30 and 90 days to just to sit down and be like, Hey, what's going on? And, um, I appreciated that they would then often open up and then I could better understand like, Hey, this person just needs some more grace right now. Um, or, Hey, they need some guidance or, Hey, can I provide them tools? Um, you know, we have, we had, um, when we worked at community, we had such a great resources to provide our staff. Um, and so those are, just different things that I use during that time. Yeah. Well, I love that you were basically describing it as, as using it as a burnout tool to measure burnout. Mm-hmm. So watching yeah. when people are starting to slip into that lower end of healthy, which you have to know the Enneagram fairly well to, to be able to do that and be that skilled with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a great opportunity to sit down and have a conversation and just say like, Hey, is there, is there something I need to do to help you? Or maybe it's personal, maybe it's professional, who knows? But to start that conversation and just notice some of those cues when you start to see people slipping into um, what we would describe as maybe a little unhealthier, or you start seeing some of those stress behaviors come out, you know, with some of those lines and arrows that people connect to with the different types. Um, For me, if I start to become a naysayer as a a nine and I start, you know, becoming a naysayer and I'm uh, more negative or cynical, you know, something's wrong because that looks a little bit more like a six and that's not my, my natural state for sure. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great way to use it. I love that you just saw a need. You saw a tool that would feel, fill the need that you, that you had, which was really like getting a team to come together and work effectively and better understand each other, have some grace for one another, uh, depersonalize others' behaviors towards one another. So we can kind of get past that. But I love that you just went to your director and said, Hey, I want to do this. And he was supportive who both of us have worked with Sean and Sean is just yeah. lovely. Like what a great leader. Yes. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he said yes. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad that you kind of just took that and you empowered yourself to do that. I do find a lot of, especially nursing managers, they kind of feel like they don't have a lot of control over mm-hmm. things. They're sort of sitting back and waiting for the next directive um, from mm-hmm. maybe the executive team or from, um, you know, they're, they're one up or whatever that looks like. And so sometimes they're sitting back and not always, you know, doing these things from a leadership development standpoint and just personal development. But mm-hmm. I love that you used it with, with bedside staff. And I love that, you know, other people kind of came into it too, pharmacists, um, dietitians, mm-hmm. you know, to, to create that whole team dynamic. Wow. Like that's mm-hmm. really powerful. And what a, 
what a um, empowering thing for you to do as a nurse manager. So for all those nurse managers that are out there listening, you can do these things. So, um, you know, you don't even have to ask permission necessarily. Um, but, you know, I do think that it's an important thing to kind of when you see a need and you, you know something can help to bring it in. Um, so that's great. Uh, so tell me just about your own experience personally. So what, how did it change you as a leader, knowing that you had some of these two tendencies? Twos can burn out really fast as leaders because oh, yeah. they're give, 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 give all the time. And they do a really poor job of taking care of themselves when they're in that more average space. So yeah. tell me what that taught you and how you were able to sort of grow and um, kind of stay in that healthier space. So interestingly enough, the Enneagram came into my life about the same time that I had... Um, I was in the clinic I'm in now. So I was living in Chicago when it was introduced to me, the Chicago area. And then I moved back to Indiana for a couple of years, which is where we met. And then met my husband who uh, got into grad school right by where I was living. <laughs> so I actually ended up back at the clinic where my leadership journey began. Um, and it was... At that time, it was a private practice and the practice administrator and the um, lead physician both pulled me aside and then one of the nurses who had been a leader as well, she pulled me aside and she said to me, she's like, you need challenge. She's like, you will get bored in a job if you aren't challenged. And that's the first time anybody had ever said that to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I totally need challenge. You're right. And that's when she started to actually nominate me for like leadership type stuff, like policies and procedures and COPE, um, running the COPE, which is the like gold standard for outpatient oncology care, like certification. It, it says that you're doing what you need to do for your patients. Um, and so she started to pass that on to me. Um, and then I kept getting nudged with them and they're and a co- like six months in or something like that. They came to me and they're like, we want to open a nurse manager position. They had supervisor positions, but they wanted a nurse manager over both the clinics. And I was like, I'm not built for that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and I was like, no, I don't. And I don't know if you experienced this being a nine in leadership. Like I was like, I want to run far away from that. Um, but at the same time, the Enneagram was being introduced to me. And then I just had that voice in the back of my head of that nurse saying to me, you need to be challenged. And my goal was to be a nurse practitioner. Like that was my goal. And that's where I was headed. And then as I started to get involved in the policies and procedures and the development and just looking into things, I was like, oh my gosh, I love process improvement. I love helping new staff develop. I love revamping things to take the best possible care of oncology patients. I've always been an oncology nurse. It's my passion. Um, And so as I was developing to realize that like, hey, I do have maybe a gift in leadership and maybe this is the thing for me. Um, I was also developing on the Enneagram and I had always been a leader for like Bible studies and different groups. Like I was always the person to coordinate things and pull people together and host things. Um, that was normal to me. And I was like, oh, I've been doing leadership for a long time, but you're right. That burnout was there because I would give, 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 give. And then at the end of the night, everybody else was filled back up and my tank was completely empty. Um, and it doesn't mean like there are social settings where I host that I do get filled back up, but it, it, it was just getting to the point where I was like, here I am doing the dishes again. Nobody's helping. Like, you know, and as a two, I'm always like, don't they see the needs? I see the needs. How can they not see the needs? Um, (laughs) and that, and, and that taught me to be, so it's funny because my dad's an eight. 
So um, it's really interesting. And my therapist and I have talked a lot about this. She's like, you can tap into that eight and still be healthy to like say like, hey, and my dad has always just been good at stating the tough stuff, stating the obvious, stating his needs. And I'm just like, I was afraid to do that, right? Because that's what I grew up with. And as a two, like a very soft personality to be growing up with an eight, I was just like, how can you just say this stuff? How, how do you, how do you just verbalize this stuff? Um, and so, yeah, interestingly enough, um, I started to realize that, Hey, I, in order to be successful in this leadership role, I have to know when to say no, I have to learn boundaries. I have to say, Hey, can you help with this? Um, and that was, you know, that's hard because being that frontline nurse leader, which is where I still am. Um, you want to jump in and help and ease when they're short-staffed or ease that patient load. And that's not normally the best answer. And that's hard for frontline staff to understand, um, it, you know, because that's not what they want in that moment is for their, their burden to be eased, but they don't know everything you're doing on the back end that has to, that's going to help them long-term. And you know, I'm over five different areas in my clinic. If I jump in and help one area and take a full patient assignment, then the four other areas when they need me, either I'm going to have to abandon that a patient assignment and go take care of that, or they won't get the help they need either. Yeah. So it's just such a balance and a hard thing. And Sean, actually, the, the director that we've spoken about, um, he was just so good at helping me to, to go through that and be like, hey, in this moment, what is the best for you? What is the, the best decision for both you health-wise and for your team health-wise and the patient, because yeah, passing a med here or there, checking a chemo here or there, or jumping in here or there is one thing, but taking a full patient load or being stuck when I was an inpatient manager in a room for two hours, there are other things that are being left that need to get done for all aspects of care. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a real learning curve for most um, nurse managers for sure is to know when to kind of step out. And typically in, in healthcare, if you are a good, um, clinical nurse and you have good clinical skills, that's sort of why you get promoted. And so Mm -hmm. it's just interesting because that doesn't mean you have leadership skills or that you understand, you know, how to delegate and those types of things. And so I think that's a huge shift, um, from bedside to being more in that manager position, for sure, because we're, we're good clinically. So we want to jump in. That makes sense. And we want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both our types, the two and the nine really, um, really want to be liked. And so there's that mm-hmm. factor too. There was part of that, that I ran into early on in my leadership journey too, where it was like, well, I want people to like me and they'll like me if I jump in and help them with clinical mm-hmm. care. Um, but that wasn't always the right answer. So, you know, I had to learn that, yeah. that lesson the hard way too. Um, and so once I kind of saw it, it was like, okay. And I had a a wonderful mentor too, that would kind of call me on some of that stuff mm-hmm. um, and kind of help grow and develop me too, as a leader, um, as I kind of, you know, transition into other positions too. So, yeah. so you brought up a, an interesting point, because I swear I'm going to do some sort of a like case study on this, um, that your dad was an eight and you're a two, you know, how many mm-hmm. times I um, have clients that will identify their parents as one of their arrows or lines or one of the places mm-hmm. that they have a connection to. So like I, I just interviewed somebody last week and it was a seven who has a one daughter who's grown, okay. you know, I mean, he's, he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's, you know, in his fifties and his daughter is in her twenties. And so uh-huh. I hear it all the time. And I find that to be fascinating that we would connect in that way where we have a connection, mm-hmm. but it's not the same type of style for sure. 
And I love mm-hmm. that you also brought up that, um, you know, some people call them stress and, and growth arrows or stress and security point. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all sorts of different terminology out there, but I agree. I think you can tap into both of those. I think twos can be some of the most powerful leaders, but in a softer way than a typical eight would be. So the eight can obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you know, tap into that two and, and, you know, kind of show that bigger heartedness and those types of things. But I think twos, if they can tap into that healthy side of the type A, I mean, wow, what a strong presence in the world. Um, but not in a overly assertive or aggressive way, like maybe a type eight would be or an average type eight would be. So, mm-hmm. so you bring up some, some interesting points there. I find that to be fascinating that so many people tell me their parents have that connection point at so- somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I experienced that too. So, um, so yeah. my husband is a triplet um, oh, and he okay. identifies as a nine. Both his triplet brothers identify as one, which his mom identifies as, as and then his sister identifies as a nine and their dad identifies as a six is kind of where he's landed. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. Right. And these three who shared the womb, um, they (laughs) have similarities, but then they came out like, you know, and and the two ones are very different. I would have to say their wings are very different from each other. Um, but it's just, it's interesting and it's fascinating to have conversations with them. Yeah. Cause I think it happens with wings too. So I'm pretty sure my dad mm-hmm. is an eight and I'm pretty sure my mom is a one. And I sat mm-hmm. in the middle of that, which is really interesting uh-huh. to me, you know, that yeah, I kind of yeah. picked up some of those traits on both ends yeah. for sure. Um, but then kind yeah. of landed on this nine strategy, you know, so, oh, yeah. so, so crazy. So, um, okay. Well tell me, you know, we've talked a bit professionally. I mean, it sounds like obviously okay. as a leader, you've learned a lot about yourself. I'm kind of curious yeah. what it's uh, done for you personally and how you've used that in relationships. You mentioned a husband, um, yep. how that's improved relationships, um, through your family and through your relationship relationship with your husband. So, um, when I met my husband and I was in that state where I was just like, just cause I'm in my early thirties and not married doesn't mean I'm not happy. And like, I was my, my whole twenties, I was single and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, we grew up in Indiana where you're supposed to get married at 22 and have kids. <laughs> And the whole shebang. And I was like, I'm okay. And I had moved out East um, right after I graduated from IU um, and spent some time out there. And I was like, oh my gosh, like they, they're, it's okay for them out here. (laughs) They don't just get married right away. Like they do focus on their careers. Um, And so I was, when I moved back to Indianapolis, I had my dating profile activated just so that my family would like be like, well, at least are you on a dating site? And so it's so proof, you know, at family gatherings. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, are you even putting yourself out there? And I had gone through a pretty bad breakup right before that. And I was just like, you know what? Like I'm okay single. So if it happens, great. If not, I'll be okay too. Yeah. And I wanted to get married and all that stuff. Um, Three weeks in, I get a message from my now husband on Okay, Cupid is what we were both on. And I was like, okay, he's cute. He loves Jesus. He likes dogs. Those were my three great <laughs> criteria. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Um, and then ironically enough, he worked for community as well. And we actually worked on the same campus, just in different buildings. Um, and so I was like, you know, online dating can be really creepy. I was like, let me look him up. Let me make sure he is who he says he is. Um, and he was. Um, and so we went on our first date and he's a nine. So it was, he was very shy at that time, but I didn't know he was a nine at that time. Um, and he is one of those people that actually picks up like the mannerisms 
um, of people around him. Yep. And so it was very interesting because he was he was living with a very eclectic group of guys and stuff like that. And as I've gotten to know him, I was just like, okay, like you are who I thought you were at first, but that's so many of the things. Um, and it was pretty early on. Um, we started talking about the Enneagram and he got fascinated with it too. Um, and so getting to learn about the two and the nine and the relationship, and we're both very soft, passive personalities generally. Um, like that's who we are, but both of us have grown in that and had to learn to say our needs and wants. And he had been through a divorce recently before that. So we were both coming into it from pretty damaged spots, I would say. Um, and the Enneagram just helped us to both not only heal, but heal with each other and develop, I would say, a much stronger relationship by looking at it. And we read, you know, there's different things out there about this is what a two and a nine relationship would look like. And yeah. and we read it and we were like, oh my gosh, that's totally us. Like, you pick, <laughs> yeah. no, you pick, no, you pick, no, you pick. <laughs> and then the two normally ends up making the decision and they get frustrated for the nine because they don't want to make the decision, but the nine's not making the decision. So the two has to make the decision. Yeah. And it was, but it was such a good growth spot. And then we started to talk to our families about it. And that has been so fun too, because he has four siblings and I have two siblings. And now we have 13 nieces and nephews as well. So we have this, all these people um, to talk, to talk to, but, you know, talking with my sister too, it helped too, because, by he and I talking about it, we went out to dinner with my sister and brother-in-law and I learned my sister is a one. And I was like, oh my gosh, our childhood makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Um, just growing up and how we would butt heads. And I have a super strong one, one way. Like I absolutely, the order, the, the need for, which actually does help me with boundaries, which I'm thankful for. Um, but, you know, her being a one primary, that's who she identifies with most. It was very interesting. Um, but it was also interesting to watch because her husband's an eight, um, and he identifies as an eight. And I was like, oh, it all makes so much more sense now. And they are not afraid to argue in front of people or, you know, they're not afraid to talk about their differences in front of people. Like we're Jared and I would never do that. (laughs) And so it, it, you know, they, you know their opinions and that's not a bad thing, right? Like so many of us wish that we could talk about that stuff and not be afraid to, they, you know, they, they talk about it and get through it. And as a two and a nine, we've had to learn like, Hey, neither of us like conflict, but we know that it's much better if we get it out up front. And I would say we've learned from my sister and brother-in-law. Yeah. No, I think that's really cool that your family kind of has that shared language. I know my sister's type. I know a few, my sister-in-law's type. I know a few people. I have mm-hmm. I have ideas around some of my other family members, but they haven't, they haven't come out and said that. And to your point earlier, I, you know, I, I certainly don't know their internal worlds. I see mm-hmm. their behaviors and this is not a behavior-based tool. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, I have, yeah. I have a sense of maybe where they land, but it was really fascinating. I should say, my, go ahead. I was going to say, I should say my dad hasn't completely come out and said it. But yeah, I, I I think he's an eight. <laughs> Eights are pretty easy to spot, I think. You know, yeah. I mean, I think they're like you and like I, you know, yes, like I just kind of same same behavior. It was like no problems asking for what they want and being assertive mm-hmm. and even arguing, like no problems with that. Where I was like, I'm getting the heck out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, twos and nines, that's the most common mistype. So it's a really common mistype mm-hmm. for sure, because there's a lot of similarities. Um, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things is you guys both live in the positive outlook. 
um, <laughs> group. And so you're both kind of always like, oh yeah, it'll be fine. Everything's going to be great. Like you're, you're pretty much half glass full types of people. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can be hard to balance. My husband also lives in that he's a seven. So mm-hmm. it's two sevens and nines that live in that space. And so, um, <laughs> so he and I can, we can avoid conflict really quickly. And so when we uh-huh. first read the two of our types together, it just said when healthy, they're fantastic together. Um, when mm-hmm. not healthy, it's volatile. And I was like, yeah. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense for sure. You know, yeah. but, but we wouldn't talk about it being like, it wouldn't be openly volatile. It's like an inward mm-hmm. type of thing that we were both struggling with. And so mm-hmm. to our you know points of like, I think anybody can be a great leader. I think anybody can be a great, uh, you know, partner to, to, mm-hmm. um, or in a relationship, it just depends on that level of health, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't think there's any one type that fits better with another type. I think it's more just about, you know, that level of health and understanding yep. around um, one another. And then I think just some grace, you know, reading about my husband, yep. I was like, oh, all this makes so much more sense now. <laughs> um, so it was really helpful. I'm like this would have been really helpful information up front. You know, we discovered mm-hmm. it like nine years into our marriage. So, you know, it would have been really good mm-hmm. information up front. So I'm a huge advocate for it, for relationships. Um, I did a couple of summer goes, summers ago, I did a family retreat. Mm -hmm. which was really cool. So it was, um, a mom who had three grown kids, they were in their Mm twenties and they had all three gotten married, um, within, I don't know, like a year or so of each other. And Mm -hmm. so they brought these, you know, three other people into the family. The family was very close. And she was like, I just really want to understand them. I want to be a great mother-in-law. Um, she was a two actually. Um, and so, so yeah, so I said, Oh, I think that's so great. So she had me come and do a little bit of a family retreat. It was so much fun. And you know, it's, that's tucked away in my back pocket for when my kids are older, um, Mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, maybe, you know, understand them better and then understand yeah. their, their partners that they choose to bring into the family. I just thought it was such a beautiful idea and it was so much fun. So I'll put that out there now. Anybody yeah. that wants to do a summer family retreat for the Enneagram, I'm, I'm on board. I, I just loved it. It was really cool. I think that's such a great idea too. Cause you know, walking into my husband's family that has four siblings, um, I, I looked around and I was just like, how, and I'm a social too. Like, I, you know, yeah. I, I, my, my primary subtype is social. So I'm extroverted. Like I, I'm an ENFJ. Like I, I, I'm not afraid to walk into that stuff, but I was like, how do I even begin to understand? And because I'm a two, I'm like, how do I understand them enough to help take care of them? Um, right. and just right. thinking about that, like how, I, I, you know, and my mother and father-in-law, they're fantastic. And I just wanted to, you know, getting to talk to them. And my husband was like, I don't know if they would like the Enneagram, but one night we actually had like an hour long telephone call with them um, during COVID because, you know, we haven't gotten to see a lot of people, but it, it opened up that conversation. And it's so now that I know more of their types, it's actually helped me to better be like, okay, now I understand. Like when I first came into the family, this is what was going on. And with you know, five siblings, they all have so many inside jokes that you're sitting there and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> and he grew up in Wabash, which is right outside of Fort Wayne where I grew up. So it's not even that far, but it like, it, it's, it's different when it's a tiny town. I know you grew up in a tiny town outside of Fort Wayne too. Yeah. Um, it's different than growing up even in Fort Wayne, which isn't that big of a city, but um, learning what they did on their, their spare time. And because my husband was the trip, one of the triplets in this town, you know, they were famous. Oh, sure. So yeah. <laughs> they, they talk about all the time. They were like, oh yeah, we couldn't get away with anything without somebody telling our parents within five minutes. 
Um, which was different than the world I grew up in because I grew up in a bigger city and I wasn't a triplet. Um, but ironically enough, my dad is a twin. Um, and then I have twin cousins. So we both have a bunch of multiples in our family, which is really fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is interesting to see how they, um, create these different personalities to your point, like sure, you know, in some cases, like it's split DNA, right? (laughs) Like, you know, so yeah. So, so fascinating to see how we create these and really it's, you know, it's a protective strategy in childhood. So like we all Mm -hmm. get certain messages, you and I might perceive a message completely differently, even though Mm -hmm. it was the exact same message. And so when you look at siblings, it's interesting to kind of see how like my sister created a four strategy to protect Mm -hmm. herself. I created a nine, you know? So it's just, yeah, I don't know. I find all that stuff to be fascinating with families and family dynamics. And I think when you can have a shared language with your family, that can be really helpful. I also have found Mm -hmm. it to be helpful to kind of get them stuck from their type. So for example, Mm -hmm. you as a two, I can, I can know that you really like affirmation. You like being appreciated. I can Mm -hmm. know that about you and I can, I can do those things. That's kind of just reinforcing this idea that you have to do things for other people in order to be loved. And so Mm -hmm. what I would more say to you is, you know what, you realize you don't have to do that. Um, I actually think you're overextending yourself. If you, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you agree with that, I would actually prefer if you didn't do that and just know that mm-hmm. I love you for just you. Um, yeah. I think that can be really powerful because I think sometimes we reinforce some of these things and it's not that helpful. It's actually not what the Enneagram is about. It's sort yeah, of yeah. to dismantle some of these ideas that we have, you know, believed for so long that we have no idea we're still believing them. So, yeah. So yeah, that's been really helpful for me to do with, with, with my husband too, you know, like, okay, like, okay, are you ever going to be satisfied, you know, as a seven? So, you know, he's just always chasing the next thing, you know, so sometimes Mm -hmm. I can help him slow down a little bit. So interestingly enough, speaking of husbands, my husband being a nine, um, and he had come out of a pretty damaging marriage and just a lot of stuff going on. And he had always worked at like the the bottom of the line social work, which we're so grateful for those people that do that. Um, but he had this longing to be like a pastor or or, uh, or a therapist or something um, to advance his skills. And it was a year and a half of arguments. And at one point he looked at me, he's like, so you're not going to marry me if I don't do this? Um, and I was like, no, you have this deep desire and you have the skill set and you have this longing. What's holding you back? And he, as we continue to work through it, um, we got to such a better place. And now he's halfway through grad school and the growth and development of him, like he's a whole different man than when I married him. And I love both versions of him, but it's so cool to see him and grow his confidence and um, just seeing. So he is in a master's for mental health counseling. And when he started the program, mental health, or counseling was in need, mental health stuff was in need. And now with COVID, it's like even higher in need. Yeah. Uh, but he did research across the country to find a program that had the divinity in there as well. And it was interesting because it, as a two, I, I, I had to watch it because I was like, but I know this is what you need. But I, as a nine, uh, you know, the more somebody pushes you, yeah. the more you're going to go away from it. So yeah. I had to, during that whole process, I had to keep stepping back and I, and watch when I would like say like, Hey, have you looked into this anymore? Or what have you found out? And then step back and just let him process it. Um, and now that he's in it again, it's just such a fascinating thing to watch him grow and develop and 
you know, it brings tears to my eyes just to hear him and to listen to him. And he's going to be such a fantastic counselor and he has such a passion for it. Like, even when he's not in school, that's what he's reading about. He's like, how can I better help people? And I'm like, that's how you know you're in the right field. Um, right. And he just loves the theology components because it's challenged his faith and developed him more in that area. So, you know, many people want that aspect of it as well. So he can either use it or not use it, but it's the foundation of it. And it, it's just been, you know, unfortunately, he hasn't gotten to go in person class. He's been on Zoom class because of COVID most of his school. But it's been super exciting but yeah it's that as a two I'm like I know what you need and he's like hold on let me process this and as a nine you know you have to do it in your own timing or it's it's the more you push the nines and that's what I know with my staff too if I keep pushing them it's going to make them not want to do it right yep yeah I have a mug actually that's it says I'm a nine wing eight don't push me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is true for many ways. Cause I can tap yeah. into the eight. I mean, I can get pretty aggressive and assertive. Um, it's mostly because I think whatever that subject is, is going to disrupt my own piece. So mm-hmm. I'll get, I can get very aggressive. And so people are like, I, I can't believe you're a nine. And I'm like, Oh no, I can turn that on. I've learned to turn it on in the right spaces um, when it's really needed. And it's not that mm-hmm. often that I turned it on, but I can be very assertive and aggressive. Um, I would say assertive is probably the better term. Um, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, wouldn't say most people come would say that I come off as super aggressive, but um, yeah, yeah. From so, my experiences I, with you, I would say assertive. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. aggressive. Yeah, yeah, and it's really cool to hear that about your husband because I think it sounds like that's a nine that finally woke up, um, and that's mm-hmm. our hardest thing is to get us, you know, awake to our to mm-hmm. ourselves and to our own lives because we sort of just mm-hmm. float through life as you know, like just an observer, you know, like we're just, mm-hmm. we're just here to observe. We have nothing to offer, you know? And so I personally believe that most of the modern day presidents that um, have been really effective are actually nines. Um, mm-hmm. They make great therapists. So he's, he's, he's on, on a good track for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's really cool to hear that he kind of woke up. I love that you also checked yourself because that's a real challenge for twos. Because they, they do often see what, pe- what people could need, you know, like they're, they're mm-hmm. going to need this and I need to step in and I got to tell them. Um, I had a, a, a client with adult children and she was like, and she's a two, she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm driving them away. I can tell. And I'm like, okay, maybe the next time, instead of telling them what to do, maybe just ask them if they want your opinion. And so she started doing that and they almost always said no, which she was like, I like as a two, that was like a dagger to the heart. You know, they, they mm-hmm. don't want to know what I have to tell them. And I know it would fix this problem. Um, mm-hmm. And so she said, but, you know, she's, they started coming to her more often because it wasn't mm-hmm. this, I know exactly what you need to do. You know, let's, let's push you towards that. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really think any adult loves to be told what to do. So I think there are certain Enneagram <laughs> types that really don't like mm-hmm. it. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's really too many adults out there that really just love to be, you know, uh, have orders barked at them and told, you know, what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, that's just an interesting, that it's a great way to use it, that you kind of checked yourself at the door to know how to get the best out of him. Cause you know, so mm-hmm. much about him now. Well, and you know, the rumbly volcano did erupt a couple of times to tell me like, Hey, you pushed it too far. <laughs> sure. sure. Uh, <laughs> but that, that, you know, that's good for a reminder for me, like, Hey, yeah. I, I have to check that. And yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's life, right? Like we try these things yeah. and we step back and say, Oh, that didn't work. And so that's how mm-hmm. you really build true self-wisdom and self-awareness mm-hmm. is by doing those things consistently, checking yourself mm-hmm. each time to say, Oh, that did not work with, with him. 
what's going to mm-hmm. be the next strategy. You can keep, you know, barreling through and with one strategy um, and mm-hmm. never developing any self-awareness, but it's certainly not going to lead to a very healthy relationship. So. And self-awareness is such a big thing. And it sounds like you and your husband have worked on this a lot too. Just yeah. being aware. Well, um, I think that's the biggest leadership skill is self-awareness. And I think it's mm-hmm. one that we're lacking a lot in. I have yet to see a tool that does um, does this better than the Enneagram that really teaches mm-hmm. people who they truly are, not just mm-hmm. a color, not just a letter, um, but how can they really truly continue to grow? Cause it's not, you know, it's a growth tool. It's not a personality mm-hmm. test necessarily. Yeah. So, um, so I personally think it's the best one I've seen. So if somebody finds another one out there that, that I, you know, that they want to argue with me over, they can, <laughs> I just haven't seen anything. Yeah anything quite as, as in-depth, um, and growth mindseted as the Enneagram is. So I, I love to use it with executive clients all the way down. to, mm-hmm. like you said, like a bedside nurse, I love to have them understand kind of how they show up so they can be the healthiest version of themselves in order to take care of these patients. Cause it's a hard job. No, no doubt yeah. about it. And it's interesting too, because they can help each other too. Like I noticed at my right. staff, um, they, they would be like, her six is really showing right now. And she doesn't take it offensively anymore because she's like, oh, I'm a six. I have high anxiety. The other sixes on the unit have high anxiety. Oh, my my coworkers are lovingly calling me out to say, hey, check your anxiety. Um, or, you know, the right. nine was moving a little slow. They're being a little too nine-ish right now. <laughs> as right. Would say. And so like, oh, okay. Like maybe I'm holding up others by, by that. And um, yeah, it, there's just, yeah. it, it's so it's so good to have that comfort with people and that like, Hey, they're helping me be more self-aware. Right. Oh yeah. With sixes, they often will get pegged as the naysayer on the team. So especially outside of like a bedside role, it's a little bit different, but if you're, you know, in a, on a team and you're around a table and they're the ones that are constantly like, I don't think that's going to work. I've thought through all this stuff because they really have, Mm -hmm. they've actually seen all the things that go wrong. And I'm like, for heaven's sakes, don't label them the naysayer. Listen to them. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, on the on the other end, I always coach the sixes. Like, okay, so come in, and I want you to also have a strategy to fix the problem that you're going to come up with. So when you come mm-hmm. into a room and you have six problems with this project that we're working on, great. I want you to at least have a few solutions to those problems because you will get labeled a naysayer if you're constantly just <laughs> this is all going to go wrong. Also choose when you're going to say it. Don't say it at the end of a project and suddenly raise your hand and say, this is all going to blow up in our faces. Mm -hmm. Um, That's too late. So you needed to speak up, you know, six months ago at the beginning of the project. So it's been interesting to watch that. And I coached a team that had three sixes on it. And when Mm -hmm. I explained that to their leader, they were like, oh my gosh, I've often even said those people just can't get on board. Like they're not on board. Mm-hmm. They're not, maybe they're not a cultural fit, you know? And I'm like, no, no, no. You just need to listen to what they're saying and then coach them to have solutions to the problems that yeah. they're bringing up. So, you know, it's, yeah, I think yeah. sixes are awesome. I don't really think that way. I, I can when I, I can in certain times, but for mm-hmm. the most part, I don't think in like, oh gosh, what could go wrong? So, um, yeah. and they do like, they, they see all the things that could go wrong and they're like, they're usually spot on if you really sit and listen to them. So, yeah. So my charge nurse is a six oh, and yeah. her, her answer is always no. And then a couple of my PCCs that when I was working at the network, we both worked for, which are my charge nurses or, or were sixes. And it was just always interesting. And it depends on the sex, right? Some come and say, here's all the problems I see while others just say no. And so, you know, right. those, those I've said, okay, tell me what you see going wrong. 
first. Cause as a two, right. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a yes person as a two, like, Oh, we can make this work. The positive outlook person. Yeah. We can ha- make this happen. You know, we were talking about, we went live on Epic about eight months ago and you know how that goes. Yeah. And so we were talking about something that was going wrong. And I was like, but this is going really well right now. And they just looked at me and they're like, always have to be the positive. Yeah. Um, but my, you know, my charge nurse and stuff like that, she's, she, she actually has done some Enneagram work in the last year. At first she tested it as a five. And I was like, ah, you know, let, let, let's look at this a little bit more. And then she's yeah. like, oh, I'm totally a six wing five. Like she gets it now. And she's just like, this helps me identify why I say no. And she, she's like, this, like Enneagram stuff is crazy spot on to help her understand herself more than ever. Um, which has helped us. We've known each other for seven years. We've worked in this capacity before. Um, but it's been really good for us to, to help understand each other and just say like, yeah, but they are, they see the problems before anybody else can see them. And that's such a value and asset to the team. Yes. Agreed. And yeah, I, to your point, I think it depends on the level of health, the level of awareness, of course, but I think as leaders too, you did exactly what you needed to do, right? Like your help, you're helping kind of coach those mm-hmm. people through that. And so, yeah, yeah, I just, I love it. I love what you're doing. Keep up all the good work, bringing this into healthcare. I just think it's such a powerful tool. Um, and I love that you were curious about it. So I had the same response with the Enneagram when I was first introduced to it, similar to you, small group type mm-hmm. of deal. And I'm like the, what? No, I've taken all these tests. I already know. I, I knew yeah. about my behaviors. I didn't have a clue why I was behaving the way I was behaving. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. I do. And almost always when I'm behaving in a way I don't like, it's because I'm trying to protect my own peace mm-hmm. almost always. And so like, it's, it, it's very rare that I can even figure out a time in my life that that wasn't the primary motivator. So, mm-hmm. so being able to kind of like pause and say, do I need peace in this situation? And is that actually mm-hmm. going to be peaceful for me? Withdrawing from this or not trying the hard things? Mm-hmm. Does that actually create pace or peace? Or is that just a story I've been telling myself? Because it doesn't always mm-hmm. create peace when I don't do the hard yeah. things. So yeah. just such a, a great tool and keep doing all the work that you're doing. I just, I love it. And um, I know this won't be the last time we talk. I'm just certain. No. It, so, yeah. yeah, no. Well, thank you, Rachel. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And it was such a great conversation. Yeah. And enjoy your view and, and your time off. Thank you.